The following podcast contains explicit language. Hi, I'm Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and I'm here with a Slate spoiler special podcast on W, the new Oliver Stone biopic of George W. Bush. I'm in the New York studio with Tim Noah, a senior writer at Slate. Hello, Tim. Hey, Dana. And uh, you're up for today and tomorrow to the to the New York offices from D.C. Welcome. Thank you. So we both saw W, not together, over the last two days and are both writing on it. And I hope both have a lot to say about the movie. Let's start off by uh, answering the question that our engineer just posed to us before we began <laughs> taping, which is what kind of a movie is this? What sort of beast is W? He said, I've seen two trailers for the movie. One is comic. One is dramatic. It's, it's entirely impossible to tell what this movie's intent is. It's sort of both. It switches back and forth between uh, a comedy and and a serious historical drama. The the, the most comic element in it, I would say, is the extremely hilarious and wonderful performance by Thandi Newton as Condoleezza Rice. I don't know if you had this reaction, Dana, but I, I burst out laughing every time <laughs> she opened her mouth. It's it's just she just has a hilarious, dead on imitation of Condi Rice. Well, I think we have different takes on that performance. I agree with you that the performance is dead on and extremely it's, funny. It's very broad, but it's quite funny. It it, it doesn't necessarily belong in, in 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 the movie that it's in. It's just it's such a technically perfect imitation of Condi Rice that I feel like it needed a better written role to to wrap around it. She she does take you out of the movie at the moment she talks because. You just sit there imagining her, you know, listening to voice tapes. She's like the rich little of, of. Well, and she's and she's you know she's she's cast in the movie as this unbelievable ass kisser, which um, she she was uh, during. Well, it's one of the most superficially unflattering portraits of any of these of the the cabinet members in the movie. Wouldn't you agree? Yes, yes. I was really sort of amazed at how a uh, a really beautiful woman like Thandi Newton could make herself look so. 100% asexual. It was sort of fascinating. It's funny. I didn't actually didn't recognize her as Thandie Newton. I guess I hadn't seen that name on the cast list going in, and she completely makes herself over, has a completely different kind of body posture and stance and looks a lot older and has a lot of you know crazy makeup on, maybe even prosthesis. Right. But Thandie Newton has always played in every role I've ever seen, this sort of sparkly princess Audrey Hepburn, lovable gamine type. And so to see her as this very hunched and tense and sort of, like you say, very toadying and, and awful woman was, was really a shock. I had no idea and has she played comedy before? I've never seen her uh, do anything for laughs. Before. I mean, romantic comedy, but yeah, I've, I've never seen her trying to get laughs with her lines. So that that is the most exaggeratedly comic element in the movie, and it doesn't quite fit with the rest of the movie, but I didn't much care just because I thought she was very funny. Well, what about Josh Brolin himself as Bush? What, what, how do you think he is um, trying to you know, put over Bush? He, 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 I think, plays it uh, also he, uh, uh, in, in a largely but not entirely comic mode. I think this is a movie, if you like George W. Bush, I wouldn't recommend that you see this movie for the 14 people out there who still admire the president. This is a movie for Bush haters. And and uh, it's kind of a given from the start of the movie that you think Bush is is a hapless clown uh, whose haplessness has a an element of tragedy in it, not because he, he was a great man who fell from great heights, but, but just because of uh, the outcome, uh, a terrible bloody war and uh, and uh, now a broken economy, although that part isn't in the movie. Well, it's almost the opposite tragedy of a great man who falls from great heights. He's a small man who ascends to heights he should never have ascended to in the first place and then, you know, is sort of in free fall as we leave him at the end of the movie. That's right. I mean, you get a sense of somebody who is, who is uh, you know, out of his depth from the beginning of the movie. He's, he's out of his depth in almost all situations in the movie. And... Um, 
he, he's just sort of consumed by by um, this strange combination of resentment and and, and privilege, uh, even a sense of entitlement. Uh, he, he speaks uh, in the movie a couple of times about how, you know, my uncle can get me a job in Wall Street or Bushes have always done this or that. And yet at the same time, uh, he feels sorry for himself because his father loves his brother more than him, or at least thinks that his brother is 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 a uh, more responsible person than he is. I think these are all sort of real components of, of George W. Bush's personality, and Brolin communicates them in, um, as I say, in a largely comic but but occasionally serious way. And I love that the, the thing I liked best about the performance was um, uh, that sort of kind of bantam swagger he had throughout the whole movie, which was both managed to be, you know, express this this completely uncalled for overconfidence. And at the same time, it, it seems like a way that he, he lets off anger. That um, swagger is actually, if you remember, discussed in the movie when the when Carl Rove, the actor playing Carl Rove, Toby Toby Jones points out to him, you know, that in a debate somebody might bring this up as he's running for for governor of Texas to mention that he has this is overconfident swagger. Do you remember his response? He says, "In Texas, we call that walking." That's right. That's right. <laughs> But I agree. He gets the he gets the physical George Bush, especially I would argue the later George Bush. I mean, he ages probably twenty years or more, twenty five years over the course of the movie. Mm-hmm. And as a forty year old actor, it's somewhat hard for him to play you know the whiff and poof Yale twenty year old George Bush. But by the time he ages into the, the to the presidential George Bush, it's really an uncanny impersonation. It is. I mean, there was there was a couple of points late in the movie where I I thought, now wait a minute, is that really Brolin talking? Because that sounds so much like Bush that I'm wondering if they're actually dubbing in the real Bush. I thought that when they had the yellow cake, the famous yellow cake sentence from the uh, the pre-Iraq war speech, um, which, you know, the cadence is almost exactly like Bush's, although I went back and watched on YouTube that that part of the, the, the original speech. And in fact, and this ends up being the theme of your of your um, of your chatterbox column on, on this movie. The, the real Bush is far more dramatic and absurd and self-dramatizing and, and, <laughs> and satirizable than than the fake George Bush in the movie. The way he pauses in the in, the, in that sentence in real life, I think he says, and we learned that Saddam Hussein has just sought significant quality quantities of yellow cake from Africa. <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> and from that, darkest Africa. Exactly. And that, that pause before darkest Africa is something that Brolin failed to emulate. <laughs> um, but, you know, but the, 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 so we've talked about the, the comic elements, but there's also uh, there's also uh, there are serious elements. Certainly, uh, the war is treated with seriousness. It's just this sort of awful outcome. And also in, in Bush's personal life, there is a kind of a heart-rending quality to his cluelessness. He, he's shown throughout the movie as a guy who seems to be his own worst enemy. He just doesn't get it throughout the movie. Well, I would concur with you that it's a movie for Bush haters, which, as you point out, is going to be the vast majority of the film-going audience <laughs> at this point. But but I'm not sure that every Bush hater that comes to the movie wanting to get their full dose of, of reinforcement of their Bush hatred would, would walk away happy, because I think that the movie does, surprisingly for an Oliver Stone movie, extend some sort of hand of sympathy toward George Bush, not in any way that excuses his actions, but as I say, in some way that makes him a little bit of a of a sort of pathetic comic figure. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's and I think that's historically accurate, too. I mean, Nixon, Nixon was evil. I don't believe that George W. Bush is evil. I think George W. Bush is clueless. And well, Stone doesn't seem to be advancing the argument that he's particularly evil in this movie. Well, that's either. what I'm saying. Yeah. So I think that 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 
presenting him, you can you can present him more sympathetically if you're saying this is just a guy who who was clueless, who um, had all these petty resentments, wasn't real sharp, certainly wasn't as sharp as his younger brother, and uh, you know felt this terrible burden of generations that came before him of of uh, accomplished uh, bush males. And I, I wondered as I was watching it whether you know is this a theme that resonates with. Uh, Oliver Stone isn't isn't Oliver Stone uh, or wasn't he before he became a famous movie director pretty much the the uh, the failed scion of a distinguished high wasp family I think he was is that true what was his family's fortune uh, Wall Street I think so I think he he knows a bit about that and I think it makes him somewhat sympathetic I, I he's also <laughs> Uh, one characteristic that Oliver Stone and, and George W. Bush share is they're both blowhards. And uh, maybe there's, you're seeing some of the sympathy of one blowhard for another. Well, it's funny that you say that. Is it, this was actually sort of the closing point of my review of the movie, is that I think this is a case of a biographer and his subject being extremely well-matched. <laughs> you know? I mean, Oliver Stone is not a nuanced and subtle. He's not a, a fine-thinking filmmaker, but he has a certain kind of crude energy. And I think he understands George W. Bush in that way very well. Funnily enough, he also argues in the press notes, I was just looking at, that Josh Brolin is uniquely suited to play George W. Bush because of the commonalities that they have. Apparently, Brolin almost turned down the role because he hates George W. Bush so much. He just said, I can't stand to play this man. I have nothing new to say or think about him. And then he read the script and, and saw that it was a good role and started to change his mind. But, but he is, of course, the son of James Brolin. Apparently. James Brolin fearsome shadow. Oh, come on. In the, in the world of, the, of cheesy entertainment of the 70s, you don't get more fearsome <laughs> than James Brolin. I just think of him now as Mr. Barbara Streisand. Are That's right. Josh Brolin is Barbara Streisand's son-in-law. Right. Uh, yeah, I believe they are still married. So anyway, I guess there's, you know, at least in Oliver Stone's mind, there's this there's this W. Oliver, Josh Brolin connection that they all sort of understand what it is to be an Oedipally challenged scion of a powerful family. All right, let's talk for just a minute about what isn't in the movie that we were surprised about. You're a political writer, so you probably have a little bit firmer of a grasp on what in this movie really happened and what didn't really happen. What did you expect to see in, in terms of, you know, sort well, of familiar did, Bush scenes that we didn't get? In, in my slate piece, my slate piece basically argues that... that um, uh, uh, this is the rare uh, Oliver Stone movie where you see the director toning down reality in order to make it more believable. Almost everything in the movie is true. You know, there are a few uh, stretches. I think somebody, I forget who, has pointed out that that uh, uh, that uh, George W. was not addressed by his father as junior and techni- because technically, and this matters a lot to people like the Bushes, he is not uh, a George H.W. Right, he's junior. not a junior. He's it's a different w. name. Um, and uh, so that's inaccurate, but obviously was included to to communicate his his sense of, of uh, uh, you know sort of being being uh, named after your father is is, is can feel like a uh, uh, like a, some sort of belittlement that you know, you'll never live up to the guy whose name this really is so that isn't true what else at one point, Condi Rice, before the Iraq War, uh, there's a scene where Bush is kind of bemoaning the fact that, that not very many countries want to join the Coalition of the Willing, and uh, the other cabinet members are trying to buck him up. And Condi Rice says that Morocco has pledged uh, to send 2,000 killer monkeys. And I wish we had an audio clip of that scene, because it's so <laughs> wonderful. The combination of the absurdity of what she's saying and the, the voice. Um, and that's based on a... Uh, uh, there was a, a report in a Moroccan weekly that was uh, then picked up by United Press International, but never confirmed that the Moroccan government had 
offered to send 2,000 monkeys, not killer monkeys. Mind-detecting monkeys. Mind-detecting monkeys, yes. And no such monkeys ever did turn up in, in Iraq. So that's not true. There's also no evidence that uh, that Dick Cheney ever you know, gave a, uh, a pitch to the cabinet before the Iraq war saying, we've got to go in because, because this country controls one-third of the world's Oil reserves. Um, I don't think that scene, though, in which in which he puts forth, you know, when he's sort of walking around a map, Doctor Strangelove style, and you know, <laughs> planting planting imaginary American flags all over the Middle East, it's supposed to be a condensation of sort of the ideas of Dick Cheney rather right. than a proposal that that actually happened. And, and, and there's a lot of condensation and, and that's the of sort that of thing kind. That, that tends not. I mean, it wouldn't have have to have been said in any case. What I didn't realize was, it, you know, I for years thought that the the uh, the line that this was, you know, blood for oil was unfair. I really thought that the driving force behind this war was was a kind of misplaced idealism. Um, and that was based partly on the fact that the immediate result of, of the war was to drive the price of oil up. But, uh, you know, as I've read more, uh, I, I've now come across a lot of more convincing arguments that, that, that uh, oil was very much on the mind of the principles. Uh, Alan Greenspan uh, wrote this in his memoirs uh, and said he talked about it openly with several White House people and that they were very edgy about bringing it up at all. And uh, in addition, Scott McClellan, a former White House press secretary, uh, wrote his memoir, kind of a tell-all memoir, and he um, expressed the opinion, he doesn't seem to have substantiated, but he expresses the opinion that, yes, of course, oil was, was uh, very much on Dick Cheney's mind before the war. Well, the, the run-up to the war, as portrayed in this movie at least, is seems rudderless enough and confused enough that there could have been several competing motives existing at the same time without without anyone to, right. to weed them out. And, and obviously there's the edible motive, too, which, again, this was a crude, crude reading of the war that I resisted for a long time. And, and But just as I read more and more, I thought, oh, Christ, this is actually true. <laughs> That's the unbelievable thing about this movie, too, is that there's tons of moments of sort of lifetime-level Oedipal psychodrama, but the fact is they're all probably pretty accurate. <laughs> Including, yeah. as you point out, the uh, the scene where a drunken young George W. Bush runs over his father's garbage cans in his car and then challenges him to a fight mano a mano. Right, right. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a classic Oliver Stone scene, but it really happened. Well, so just, just quickly, I don't think you ever answered my question, though, about what you thought was going to be there that wasn't. As you sat down and sort of thought, we're going to see, you know, sort of a clip reel of the great moments of George W. Bush's life. Well, what did you so expect many, to see? There's so many great things. I mean, I think the most... I think possibly the the when we look back the reductio ad absurdum of the Bush presidency, the most uh, insane scene will be the the race to John Ashcroft's bedside in order to get him to sign his name to a document approving uh, illegal wiretaps, uh, domestic wiretaps. He uh, was against this. He had left his deputy in charge. His deputy was against this and against it. And the Cheney people just would not give up to the point where they insisted on he was in intensive care and they insisted on uh, racing down to the hospital to, to see if they could who were the get actual this, figures this around the bedside was it, was it Scooter Libby and, and Cheney uh, no it was um, uh, uh, a bunch of figures who who aren't as well known but but uh, maybe that's why it was hard to stonify it right uh, I mean if you've got to introduce that many secondary characters maybe uh, it's not worth it possibly but it is the most it does it's it is one of those uh, 
uh, scenes, uh, it's, and it's written up in, in Bart Gelman's new book, uh, Angler, uh, which is a biography of Cheney. It's one of those scenes where you, you just think to yourself as you're reading it, what would this even look like? This sounds so insane. And so I, I, I guess I was a little disappointed that that wasn't there. Uh, the movie also doesn't contain what I actually think is the absolute worst thing I know about George W. Bush. And again, I think he, he didn't include it because it would have thrown the whole movie out of balance. It's too shocking. And that is the story that um, uh, Tucker Carlson wrote up in Talk Magazine during the campaign in, in 99 or 2000. Uh, he did a profile of Bush, and he was talking to Bush at one point. Uh, oh, I know. This is going to be the Carla Faye Tucker Faye story. Tucker, yeah. And uh, Bush was talking about Tucker appearing on Larry King. But you should say who Carla Faye Tucker oh, is. Oh, Carla Faye Tucker was a, uh, she was on death row, and uh, uh, Bush would not commute the sentence. He was governor at the time. So uh, she was executed. And she became, her, her pleas actually became a, a big cause for uh, Christian evangelists among others, because she was a born-again Christian. Uh, she had become a born-again Christian. And she was executed. So he's, he's, he's being asked about this af- afterwards by uh, Tucker Carlson and talking about her appearing on Larry King before her execution to try and put pressure on, on Bush. And, 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 um, and uh, Tucker asks, uh, well, what exactly did she say on Larry King? I, I actually didn't see it. And uh, Bush, in a mocking tone, says, oh, don't kill me, don't kill me, um, sort of making fun of mocking a woman whose death he's responsible for. I mean, and Tucker, who who is a conservative, was deeply, deeply shocked. And uh, the Bush people tried to deny it, uh, but... um, uh, there's a subsequent report in, in a very reliable biography of the Bushes by Peter Schweitzer that uh, not only was it true that he said this, but um, and I would uh, trust uh, 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 Tucker Carlson over George W. Bush in any event, but not only is it true that he said this, but that Laura was furious at him for saying this, as, as well she should have been. You know, it's, 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 it's just a moment that makes you think, how can how can a governor of a state do this? Well, that's really a moment we were talking before about, is he clueless or is he evil? And what do you believe and what does this movie believe? That's a moment where the two overlap to an extent as to be <laughs> completely congruent, right? Yeah, cluelessness to the point of evil. It, well, I think it is a, a, an extreme uh, example of his blindness, of his, his narcissism and his un- inability to see uh, life through uh, any perspective but his own wounded one. Well, then, I mean, having heard that story and been reminded of that story, it's 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 all more of a of a testament, actually, to Oliver Stone's restraint that he didn't include it. I mean, if he wanted to make a damning portrait of George Bush, he could certainly have included that and, and many other details. I think he, he probably also, thought you couldn't include this, that people would hate the guy for the rest of the movie. Right. But that could easily have been, as with Nixon, that could have been Oliver Stone's aim to, right, you know, right. just just dial up the hatred by that many degrees. He also had no representation, interestingly, of 9-11 whatsoever. There was no, no scene that took place on that day. He missed the chance for a my pet goat joke about the children's <laughs> book that Bush was reading at the moment he was told about the attacks. But essentially, the attacks are just are just sort of glided over, obviously deliberately on Stone's part. And he starts the movie, the, the current part of the movie, the part that takes place when Bush is actually president. I guess he begins right after the bombings in October 2001 or so, up through the run-up to the war. Uh, yeah, no, there are references to, to it, but um, uh, it's, it's not um, shown. You know, the question is, will this movie have a shelf life? And I, I am inclined to say no. I, I did enjoy the movie very much, but um, I think 
you have to have your head full of George W. Bush to to want to see it. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but it's it's. Um, I can only compare it to. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen any of the Pokemon movies. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but I'm liking the comparison. My, my, my son was deeply into Pokemon years ago, and uh, he dragged me to a succession of these movies, which are the most boring movies ever made. And, and at, as I was watching them, trying desperately to f- occupy my mind with something, I was trying to figure out, you know, what is this movie all about? And I realized the enjoyment for, for, for Will wasn't that... There was a compelling story. It was a kind of a pageant. Each of the Pokemon figures would proceed across the screen, and 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 the pleasure for the kids was seeing. Oh, that's that's I forget the names of the Pokemon characters, but that's that one, and there's that one, and there's that one, and it it really wasn't so much a a film as a as a pageant. That's yes, this is uncanny. Uh, do you know that I movie... used the word pageant in the review? Oh, that do I just you really? Wrote? I knew we were friends for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, this movie pageantry. is a kind of a pageant. It's all about pageantry, and it's the pleasure. It's the same pleasure for an adult as a Romana Clef, right? When you read a gossipy novel with barely cloaked identities of real life figures and you're sort of guessing, well, that's obviously, you know, a, a condensation of, you know, Laura Bush and whoever. Right. Oh, that's that's the bit from Bob Woodward. That's the bit from Ron Suskind. And, and that so is on. the joy of this movie, especially in these ridiculous cabinet meetings where you're just sort of seeing one well-known actor after another paraded by in this kind of costume of, right. a, of, a, of a cabinet member. It's, but, but this, there's, a, there's a great satisfaction to it because these figures have been so present to us for the last eight years. They've been so a part of our unconscious, and we want to be privy to these meetings. And even if it's completely fantastical and silly, it's a pleasure to be there. Right, but that's obviously an extremely—it's uh, not an aesthetic standard, and it's also uh, a pretty fleeting one. I mean, right. That's why I can't—I can't defend W as a movie, but I will defend it as a kind of as a kind of experience, at least for the the world weary news junkie <laughs> in late two thousand eight. You can re- recommend it as a pageant. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> All right. Well, Tim, thank you very much for, um, for joining me and coming in to discuss W. Uh, thank you. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens.